0: grab a Bible and open it to the book of Ruth. Um, If you grab one from the basket, there'll be a little post-it note that will show you right where the book of Ruth is. Our daily prayer, we're in an eight-month series, and our daily prayer during this series is, Lord, build our lives on your word. Because the Lord's word is a firm foundation to build our lives on. It helps us withstand all of life's storms. And it's true, and it brings freedom and life. So that's what our goal is to build our lives on God's word, but we can't do that if we don't know what God's word is. And so we've not only committed to praying every day, just a simple sentence, "Lord, build our lives on your word," but also to reading Scripture in these eight months. And we're using a tool called the Story. It's a Bible. Um, it's, I'm sorry, it's a book. That includes Bible passages in it. Because to try to read the whole Bible in eight months would be crazy. I don't know. At least to me. So we're using a a tool called the story. And if you don't have a copy of it, you can still pick up a copy in the lobby. They're $5. Or you can buy one online. Or you can listen to the passages for free. There's a, a link on our website that you can just listen to them for free. But here's how it breaks down. Just so you know what you've been reading. um, The Bible, of course, starts with Genesis. And chapters 1 through 3 of the story are passages from Genesis. Not the whole book of Genesis, but key passages. Chapters 4 and 5 of the story are key passages from the next book of the Bible, Exodus. Chapter 6, you read passages from Numbers and Deuteronomy. Chapter 7 was passages from Joshua. Chapter 8, passages from Judges. And then chapter 9 is the past, the chapter that you're supposed to read this next week, okay? And that's actually the whole book of Ruth, because the book of Ruth is only like three and a half pages long, all right? So you can just read it straight out of your Bible, or if you have a copy of the story, you can read it there. Um, but our goal in just reading these key passages is to gain insight into the big story of the Bible, the overarching story of who God is and how. How he interacts with us and how he interacts with the world. And so as um, we've been reading through this, Genesis, we learned that God created the world good, right? He created us in his image and gave it to us to rule and we broke it almost immediately. We broke the world. And so he's been on this rescue and redemption plan. And he picked one guy named Abraham And he said, Abraham, if you follow me, I will teach you the right way to live. And I will turn your descendants into a great nation that will be a light showing other people how to live in a good relationship with each other and a good relationship with me. And so he takes Abraham to the land of Canaan, which was centrally located in the world at that time. It's where the land of Israel is now. And his descendants grow and multiply. During a famine, they move to Egypt. They don't come back home. They just stay there. And 400 years later, they're slaves in Egypt. So the book of Exodus, if you guys can still have that slide up there, I'd like that. If the book of Exodus picks up with God raising up Moses and saving that whole family out of Egypt and bringing them Back to the promised land of Canaan. And Numbers and Deuteronomy record their travel journeys, which did not go that well. And then Moses dies, and Joshua leads the remaining Israelites into the promised land. And they start to move into the promised land and settle in different towns. And there's 12 tribes in Israel, and each tribe gets an allotment of land, okay? It's their inheritance, Well, then Joshua dies, and the book of Judges, which hopefully you read some of those passages in the last two weeks. The book of Judges picks up, and it says, When Joshua and the leaders with him died, a generation of Israelites grew up who did not know the Lord. And that's the book of Judges. It's this period of Israel's history that is really like the Wild West, You have to think about a vast land, scarcely populated, isolated towns and cities, no central government. Moses died, Joshua's died, who's their leader? And they don't know God. And it just becomes a very corrupt and violent place. And the people will cry out to God because there's these gangs of raiding parties who will come and take all their stuff and oppress them. And so God, he raises up what the Bible calls judges. They're nothing like our judges today, okay? They're more like lone sheriffs. And it's their job to go out and confront the gang of raiders, or sometimes it's even a foreign king, and defeat them. And the first few judges after Joshua do a good job. But with each generation, the judges get more and more corrupt. Until they're just as bad as the raiders. And by the end of the book of Judges, Israel has a civil war. And 11 of the tribes almost completely wipe out the tribe of Benjamin. And then they feel bad about it. And they're like, oh man, the the men of Benjamin who have survived have no one to marry, but we're not gonna give them our wives, or our daughters. And so they tell them, this is the solution that they come up with. They tell the men of Benjamin, hide in some bushes and just kidnap women as they go by. And that's how the book of Judges ends. They're hiding. The men of Benjamin are hiding in bushes. They're kidnapping women and throwing them over their shoulders and taking them off to be their forced wives. And the last sentence of Judges says, In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then the next story is Ruth. And Ruth is this story that takes place during the time of Judges, And it shows how in the midst of all of that chaos, God is still working his plan of hope through the most unlikely of all people. So this week, you're going to read the book of Ruth, and I'm actually going to preach on it today. And then next week, I'll go back and preach some more on Judges. But Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Emiliak and his wife Naomi, they take their two sons, Milan and Kilian, and they moved to Moab, which was at war with Israel at the time. And Emiliak dies, and his two sons marry two Moabite women, Orpha and Ruth, and then the sons die. And so Naomi is left a widow in a foreign land with just two daughters-in-law. And that's the context of the story of Ruth. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna read it together, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray that you give us insight and understanding how to apply these ancient stories to our lives today. So that we can build our lives on your word. Speak to us now, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start reading with verse 6. You'll see a heading, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem. That's right after that. All right. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, what was this road? This is a dangerous journey. We have a map I just want to show you real quick. All right, this shows Ruth, she first goes from Bethlehem with her family to Moab, and her sons and her husband dies. So now she and her two single daughter-in-laws are going to go back right through what territory? Benjamin! Right here, this story, the men of Benjamin are hiding and capturing single women who are traveling through their towns. And the very next page, you have three single women planning to travel through Benjamin. That's not ominous, is it? (laughs) Hey, this is a dangerous journey. And not only is it dangerous, but there's really no promise for a better life for Orpha and Ruth in Israel. And so Naomi tells them to go back. The next verse, verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, we will go back with you and to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come home with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could be your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I got a husband tonight and gave birth tomorrow, would you wait for those sons to grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. You see, this is a vow she's making. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I am friends with a pastor of an African refugee church in Grand Rapids. And every time I go and visit, I'm just amazed by their stories of immigration and how they like took these perilous journeys through like jungles and rivers and, and gang territory. And then they came to live in um refugee camps some of them um all of them at least for five years some of them as long as 20 years in refugee camps before they were allowed to come to the United States and whenever I ask, like why would you do that you know like why would you risk all that danger the answer is always for hope of a better life here right What amazes me about Ruth is she doesn't actually have hope of a better life in Israel. She's fully expecting that she's probably going to die. She immigrates for two reasons. First of all, she knows Yahweh. When she says, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you from me, That word Lord, whenever you see Lord in all caps in your Bible, that's the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. The name that God gave Moses at the burning bush when he said, who who should I say is sending me? He said, Yahweh, I am, is sending you. That's the name Ruth uses. She has come to know the true God. And she doesn't want to give him up. She doesn't want to go back to her family's God's. She doesn't want to give him up. And as Dr. Timothy Keller says, he goes, when Ruth understands the right thing to do in regards to the true God, then suddenly she knows the right thing to do in regards to her mother-in-law. She knows if Naomi tries to make this journey alone, she's going to die. Ruth also knows if she tries to make the journey with Naomi, they might both die. But there's hope that she could possibly save Naomi. And so Ruth, she sacrifices her own life. She she gives up her family, her homeland, her safety, any chance of a suitor. She gives it all up. She sacrifices her own life for the hope of preserving Naomi's life. Well, keep reading. They make it to Bethlehem, verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Naomi means pleasant or happy. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You see, she's bitter. And who is she angry at? She's angry at God. Yeah, she is. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now God, in the book of Leviticus, where he gave all the family rules for how the Israelites are to live. He makes provision for the poor. He tells the Israelites that they cannot harvest the outer edges of their fields. But they have to leave that for the poor to go and gather grain. It's a work for welfare system. There's actually a lot of economic principles in the book of Leviticus that modern day leaders can learn from. But there is this work for welfare system. So Ruth and Naomi, they got nothing. But Ruth picks a field and she starts to just go and gather the leftovers on the edges of the field. Not by coincidence, but by God's grace. The field she happens to stumble upon belongs to Boaz. A relative of Naomi and he has heard about this courageous young Moabite woman who has sacrificed her life for Naomi and so Boaz has incredible favor on Ruth and the first thing he does is he goes and he tells all of his male workers hey you see that single young lady there I don't care that she's a Moabite you can't touch her you can't harass her leave her alone And then he goes to Ruth and he says, Ruth, don't go to anybody else's field because you could be harmed. Stay here. Work in my field. You don't have to just collect on the edges, okay? Work alongside my working women. You'll be safe with them. You can harvest from the main harvest. So Ruth comes home, not with just these little scraps, but with like, you know, as much barley as she can carry. And Naomi's like, what the? <laughs> like, who had favor on you? And Ruth's like, I don't know this guy named Boaz. And Naomi's like, oh, that's my relative. And Naomi begins to hatch a matchmaker scheme. <laughs> and and so Ruth keeps going back to Boaz's field day after day. And eventually... She follows Naomi's instructions, and Ruth proposes to Boaz. And Boaz accepts. But there's difficulty, because even though Boaz is clearly fond of Ruth, marrying her is no little issue. First of all, it means marrying a Moabite, the sworn enemy of the Israelites, right? That's not going to be a popular decision. Mary and Ruth also requires resolving Naomi's financial debt. You see, before Naomi and her husband moved to Moab, Moab, they had sold their land inheritance in Israel. And that inheritance was supposed to be passed on to their son Milan, Ruth's husband. And so for Boaz to marry Milan's widow, he has to buy the land back. And he doesn't even get to keep it. (laughs) It's going to go to Naomi, and from Naomi get passed on to her grandchildren through Ruth. So this is a very expensive dowry price Boaz has to take on. And that's why Boaz is called Naomi and Ruth's kinsman-redeemer. Not only does he pay their debt... And he returns their land inheritance to them. He also marries Ruth and shares all of his wealth with her. Like, And he gives them a son that Naomi and Ruth can continue their family through. So overnight, Naomi and Ruth go from being these poor, destitute, vulnerable women to being these wealthy landowners in a blessed family. Just like that. He is their kinsman-redeemer. But Boaz is not the only redeemer in this story. I want you to flip the page to chapter 4, verse 13. You'll see a heading heading that says, Naomi gains a son. Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. They're not talking about Boaz. They're talking about the baby boy. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David, who became the great king of Israel. The name of this book isn't Boaz, it's Ruth. Ruth is the greater hero and redeemer. In an ancient patriarchal society that, let's be honest, was also pretty racist, we have an immigrant woman being called better than seven sons. That is unheard of in ancient literature. But it's because of her love and courage, she has redeemed Naomi's life. She has not just saved Naomi from danger and homelessness and starvation. She has also saved Naomi to a better life, a blessed, abundant life. The book of Ruth speaks to the power of faithful family, faithful friendships, faithful relationships. Just think about this. I know that sounds like, oh yeah, faithful friendships, yay. But don't think about it, really. Ruth, she believes in Yahweh. Why? Not because she heard some great sermon, or went to an inspiring worship service, or was part of a Bible study or read some book. No, she believes in Yahweh because she was loved by a family that loved Yahweh. That's what changed her life. And what about Naomi? She was not saved through government programs and charity. She was saved by a faithful friend who would not leave her to die alone in poverty. It is through faithful friends and relationships that lives are changed. Ruth's story illustrates, look, you don't have to be powerful. You don't have to be well-educated or super talented or even well-connected. You just have to be faithful. The kind of friend that counts others as your family. And that's how lives are changed. The book of Ruth also shows us that God sets people free to love everyone including people across the cultural divide. In Boaz and Ruth, we see them loving across political divides, racial divides, and economic divides. When Yahweh, the one true God, when he rules in your heart, you are set free to love all people. Because no one is a threat to you anymore. I want you to hear this because I think everything we listen to in the news and political ads and everything we hear says, oh, these people are bad and they're a threat to you. When God is your heavenly father, no one is a threat to you. Nobody on the other side of the political aisle or a different ethnicity or a different cultural background can be a threat to you. Your father is the king of the universe. Nothing in all creation, neither life nor death nor any power, can separate you from the love of God. And so when God rules in your heart, then you are set free to love all people. And you are set free to become a redeemer. You are set free to be the kind of person who can sacrifice for others. Because you know your security isn't in the stuff of this world. It's in your Heavenly Father. In Boaz, we have a bridegroom redeemer who wipes out his beloved's death and shares his wealth with her. In Ruth, we have a suffering servant redeemer. A redeemer who leaves her home, her family, comfort, safety, everything she's ever known and to become an impoverished alien in a foreign land. Why? Why does Ruth do this? She gives up her life to give Naomi new life. That's what redeemers do. Boaz, I'm sorry, together, Ruth and Boaz, the bridegroom redeemer and the suffering servant redeemer, they pave the way for the greatest redeemer of all. Their great-grandson is the king that will save Israel. And from him is going to come another king, Jesus Christ, who will save the whole world. Boaz and Ruth show how a humble and faithful family, in this case an interracial family, how that kind of family who is faithful to God, faithful to each other, and faithful to raising their children in the ways of the Lord, how that kind of family can redeem a family legacy and even transform a nation. Boaz and Ruth, their grandson, David, the great king of Israel, who rescued Israel. And from King David, his descendants came Jesus Christ, the son of God, who left his home in heaven. Does that sound familiar? Left his home, left all privilege, left everything to be born of a lowly virgin girl. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus do that? To save his beloved. To save you and me. To wipe out the debt of our sin. To wipe out our debt of our sin and save us from eternal death to give us eternal life. Because he wants to live with us forever. My friends, if you've never decided to let Jesus redeem you, it is the best decision you could ever make. Could you imagine if Boaz wanted to marry Ruth and she said, "No, I think I'm I'm doing okay here"? <sighs> could you imagine if Ruth had, or if Naomi hadn't let Ruth come with her? Jesus is the greatest redeemer. Let him in. Give Him control of your life so that you will become a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God who loves you. He loves you. And He will provide for you. And He will set you free so you can truly love others. And if you are already a child of God, do not fear. Do not fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. There is no one who can be a threat to you. Don't stress yourself out by trying to hold on to everything in this world. Don't stress yourself out trying to gain everything in this world that the world says important. As a child of the Most High God, you are free. You are free from all of that kind of stuff. You are free to love everyone. You are free to live generously and sacrificially because you know your security is in your Heavenly Father. So let's pray now and ask God for that kind of courage. God, we thank you for being our Redeemer. That you did not just stay up in heaven, but you came to earth in the form of a humble child. So that you may grow and live here and set an example for us for how we are to live. But not just that, so that you could wipe out the debt of our sins. By paying that penalty for our sins on the cross. And then conquering our enemy, death. Death. So that we could have eternal life someday with you. Thank you for that. God, we open our lives to you. For you to be our coming king. And reign in us. And make us part of your family. And Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray you give us courage. Courage not to hold too tightly to the things of this world. And get all stressed out, thinking that's where our security lies. God, we pray that you give us courage to love other people generously. And to become blessings to them. To become the kind of people who are redeemers. Just like Boaz and Ruth. So that through you, our lives will not only be transformed, but that we can help transform the lives of others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If today you decided for the first time to open your life to Jesus Christ, to be your king, and to become part of God's family, please let us know. You can talk to me or Pastor Eric after the service or make a mark on your Connect card, but let us know because we'd love to follow up with you.